When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, 
I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. It's good to see you. Uh, welcome back if you've been away. I know some have uh, been off for a bit and... Uh, I'm aware it's warm as well, so please just keep fanning yourselves, whatever you need to, uh, to do. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank you that you're a living and present God who is with us. And we pray that you'd meet us where we are uh, this morning, whether we're uh, happy or, or hurting or confused. Uh, we want to see and meet with you. We want to see Jesus, and we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in this series on prayer, this sort of overview of prayer in the Old Testament, prayer in the New Testament, and uh, this morning we come to this extraordinary prayer of Jesus to his Father. And what we're doing is we're overhearing a conversation, or, or one side, really, of a conversation I don't know if you like overhearing conversations. We're sort of not meant to eavesdrop. We're not meant to try too hard. You're not meant to overhear. Um, I knew I was speaking on this. I, I was trying not to overhear conversations and eavesdrop, but uh, I, was at, I was at the gym at some point, and I overheard a conversation. There were uh, two men in the gym at the changing room, and, and one said to the other as he came in, he said, uh, you're in great shape. And uh, the other one sort of turned back to him and said, you're looking pretty good yourself. I thought, this is sort of strange conversation. They went on to how much... Women, these, quest, these conversations really do happen, women, in the men's changing room. And they went on and sort of how much they bench-pressed that day. And I realized, you know, it was, a, it was a conversation. It didn't do me any good. It had no impact on my life at all. I left and, you know, it had no impact on me. And sometimes you overhear conversations that have no impact on you at all. But imagine a conversation uh, like this. You're a pathfinder, you're, you're falling asleep, you overhear a, a, a conversation. 
And maybe it's between mum and dad, maybe it's between mum and, and granny, and they're, they're, you know, they're telling each other how much they love each other. And then they say, you know, I've been thinking about the children and what we might do tomorrow, and I was thinking, why don't we give them a really, really special day? Why don't we take them out on a trip? Why don't we give them ice cream? And you're over here in that conversation, and that conversation, that has an impact on you. That has, that has meaning into your life. That's a conversation that, that matters to you. You see, overhearing a conversation that has no impact, overhearing a conversation that has an impact on you. John 17 is an amazing chapter to overhear. It's a conversation between two people who have always existed. Don't rush over that sentence. It's a conversation between two people who have always existed. So just at that very level, it's a fascinating conversation to hear. There's lots of big Bible stuff in here, lots that we could think about with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But maybe we come and we, we hear that and we think, well, is that really relevant to my life? You know, I come with the troubles of my life. I didn't come in this morning thinking what I need in my troubles is a really sort of good look at the Trinity. None of us probably thought that's what we needed. But actually, these verses have a tremendous impact on our real lives. So as Nick said, it's the night before Jesus' death. Judas has just left. Jesus is upstairs in a room with the disciples. And he lifts up his eyes and he talks directly to his father. And the disciples are now we over here. And it follows like this, verses 1 to 5. He prays for himself. Then he prays in the next few verses for his disciples. And then he prays for us. And there's so much uh, in here. There's so much richness and depth. We're just not going to be able to cover it, it all. And so I decided at some point in the week that we'd really just focus on verses 20 to 26. So it's not going to be a sort of full exposition of the whole thing. But we'll look at that. But we will skim through the first uh, bit. Because what I want us to see in, in this chapter is not necessarily technique for how we pray, but I want us to see the most beautiful relationship that there is in the universe. It's a relationship that we're drawn into. It's a relationship from which and in which we pray. And I say it's beautiful because, well, some of the features of verses 1 to 19, let's just skim through some of these now, and if you've lost your place, we're page 1089. So in verses 1 to 5, we're told that it's the hour. The hour has come, says Jesus. It's the hour of Jesus' death. That's what he's talking about here. And Jesus is praying in verse 1, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. A pastor called Kevin DeYoung translates that, that, that idea. He says, make a big deal of me. Glorify me. Make a big deal of me is what Jesus is praying. Now, if you said that when you went to your new school in September, if you turned up and said, hey, everyone, make a big deal of me, it would be vanity. Because you're not the center of the universe. However, with Jesus, it's different. Jesus really is the center of the universe. We saw last week, Jesus really is a good fountain, a waterfall that cascades for us. It is good that Jesus has made a big deal of and it is beautiful that Jesus does so, and not vain, because he's saying, make a big deal of me, Father, by making me nothing. Tomorrow, 
on the cross, Father. Make me nothing as I am crushed in my sacrificial death for others. And Jesus is beautiful and not vain because he says, you notice in verse 1, make a big deal of me so that I can glorify you, so that I can make a big deal of you, Father, he prays. It would be like this. He says, in in effect, take this picture here, take the the winner's medal, put it round my neck so that I can take it off, Father, and put put it round your neck. Don't you want to be near someone who is so other person-centered as Jesus is? So look, there are some features of those first five verses. But see again the beauty of Jesus in, in the next bit where he prays for his disciples, verses 6 to 19. And it is so striking that on the night before Jesus' horrific death, he's thinking about them. He's concerned for them. He wants them to be protected, to be sanctified, to be changed by the truth. Verse 11, let's land on verse 11. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Hear this tone of deep concern. Jesus is thinking about them. And he just wants to give to them. We can't do it now, but if you were to to skim through and count, you'd notice that the word give comes up time and again. You could just spot it in verse 2, given. Verse 4, give. Verse 6, it goes on 16 times by my count. Verse 7, 8, 11, 12, 14, 22, 23. When you pull back the veil on what God is like within himself, his nature... He's a God who gives. He gives and he gives. The Father gives to the Son authority in people. The Son in turn gives to his people. It cascades down to us. And so what you and I are overhearing, remember overhearing? What you and I are overhearing is so reassuring for us. Because what we hear is that at the top of the universe, if I could put it that way, We do not overhear a conversation between a set of vengeful gods at war with one another like the Greeks believed. Nor nor do we overhear some sort of black hole sucking our time and energy, taking from us. No, no. At the top of the universe is the most beautiful relationship ever, planning how to bless others, planning how to cascade their love, their comfort, their protection out to others. And you and I are drawn, are we not, to those who give to us, people who are generous and who give. We want to go back to them. I always loved visiting my my grandparents. I seemed to leave with more than I arrived. I always remember the first moment I arrived, there'd always be a a fun-sized Mars bar. There's a picture of that on the fun-sized Mars bar there, ready for me, just on the pillow when I arrived. I knew it was good to be there with my grandparents because I kind of left with more than I started with. We're drawn to those who give. Aren't we drawn to this God who gives? Don't you somehow want to be near him? You know, sometimes we see a beautiful landscape. Maybe you've seen it this uh, summer or, 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 or a painting. And there's a part of you, it's kind of odd, but you kind of, 
you kind of want to leap into it. You kind of want to be drawn into it. A bit like that moment in Mary Poppins. Here's another, another picture. Do you remember there's that, that, that street bit of art that they're, they're, they're looking at and they, they see it and it's, it's beautiful and then, and then they jump into it because that's what you want to do in the scene. And there they are in the next bit and they're, they're inside it. Or, or sometimes, you know, growing up, we, we see a bunch of friends or a, a family and we kind of, we want to be in that family or those friends. We, we want to be drawn into it. And C.S. Lewis said, that a lot of our experience in life is that we feel cut off. We're on the wrong side of the door and we want to be drawn in. And so we turn to this last bit of the prayer, 20 to 26. And friends, we find that in Christ, you and I are drawn into this beautiful relationship that we are attracted to and long to be in. And so three things. We pray because the far, because Jesus has brought us to his Father. We pray for the unity of the Trinity. We pray because God loves us. So let's look at this last bit where Jesus has been praying for protection for his disciples. And now he says, verse 20, I do not ask for these only, these disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's looking beyond the 12 disciples to the billions who will believe in him through their word. In other words, he's praying for us. He's praying for people who are sitting in the room now, whom he had in mind. We think surely he's got other things on his mind. He's about to die. But that death was all about rescuing us. We were very much on his mind. Uh, we know that uh, the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, is, is a believer. I don't know if she has a regular prayer time. But imagine that you overheard her prayers and uh, you could tune in. And, and, and she was praying through the list of people that she prayed for. And, and she was praying for Bromley that day. And on the list, she started to pray for names that we recognize in the room. She prayed for Bill and Janet, for Wendy, for Ben, for Imran, for George. You'd be staggered to hear your name on the Queen's prayer list. How does she know of me by name? And here is the Eternal Son praying to his Father. And if you're a believer, you're overhearing a conversation about you, where you were prayed for. Jesus is speaking to the Father about you way before you were even born 2,000 years ago. In all eternity, you were on his heart because your sins would be on his body the next day. Isn't that fantastically reassuring? Actually, Jesus is fulfilling a role, really, that was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was the high priest who he did a role. Maybe you notice the heading is the, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. What's going on, on there? Well, you remember in the Old Testament, the people traveled through the desert. They were in a campsite. Then they settled in Jerusalem. And in the middle of Jerusalem eventually was the temple and the most holy place, the place where God dwelt. And only the high priest could go in and only on the basis of the Passover lamb. And when he went in, he wore an ephod. There it is, a description of the... The thing on the left, there's an ephod uh, on, on the right. I think 
Ems was busy making one for the for the kids to show them over the over the road. You can ask her about that that later. But those twelve jewels that were there represented the twelve tribes. And so here's the thing: the priest would go before the Lord with the people on his heart. That was the image. He'd go in with the people on his heart before the Lord and he would pray and the sweet incense of his prayers would go up before the Lord. And here is Jesus, the true and better high priest. Here he is, about to die as the Passover lamb. Here he is carrying us on his heart before God. He was thinking of you, praying for you. And you see, this 24-hour period is the period that changed everything. This is the prayer that made all our prayers possible. This is the prayer that made all our prayers possible. And so as we pray, prayer is not, first of all, our idea that we came up with, that we invented. We pray because he prayed first. He brought us before the Father on his heart and then he bore our sins on the cross. And that opened the door for us so that you and I are not on the outside but on the inside of this beautiful relationship. And that takes us to the second point, that we pray from the unity of the Trinity. We say, okay, so he's, he's brought us in prayer before his Father, but what does he pray? Well, verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, the first uh, part of that is... Uh, so let me read verse 22 as well. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. So the first part of that is, is standard. He prays that they'd be one. There are lots of prayers for unity in the Bible. The next bit is standard. Just as you are in me and I am in you, we're united let them be united. It's the third bit that should make us sit up. That they also may be in us. You see verse 21? That they may also be in us. Jesus praying that believers would be in us. In, in us, the, the Father and the Son. Or, or, or the, the, the Trinity, that the Holy Spirit isn't mentioned here. I take it because there's a particular intimacy of Father and Son at this moment. But there's lots of focus on the Spirit in chapters 14 to 16. And so the, the Son is praying that we may be in us, that we may be in the Trinity in some sense. Not in the sense of sort of adding one more person into the Trinity. You know, it becomes a quad unity or a, a quin unity. And you just keep adding people in. You and I never become God or, or, or gods, not, not even in heaven. We're always dependent creatures. And yet the Son is saying that in some sense what he achieves on the cross where he deals with our sin means that we are united with Jesus. We are in 
Christ. And so in Christ, we are brought right into the middle of the Trinity. And that is an unchanging union with Jesus that does not change. It means that we can enjoy communion with God. We use that word of what we're going to do with bread and wine because we we particularly enjoy coming to Father and Son and Spirit as we share bread and wine together. But we we enjoy communion with with God in our lives as well. We, We enjoy him. And one of the ways that we enjoy communion is in prayer. And these verses tell us that when we pray, our communion with God is from a front row seat, if I could put it that way. We pray from the unity of the Trinity. And that reminds us that we don't come, when we come to God, we we come to a God who's in relationship. We don't come to a God who's lonely, a father on his own, who sort of says, please do me a favour by keeping me company. No, no, no. We come to Father, Son and Spirit and we receive from him. We enjoy the most vibrant, beautiful relationship that there is, overflowing to us. We come to one God, united, but three persons. And so when we pray, we don't pray from the the outskirts of of the universe, worrying about whether we can force our way in. No, we pray from the throne room. Jesus has carried us in. And in Christ, we pray from the midst of the Trinity. There we are, right there. This is where we live and pray. And so God doesn't want us, I don't think, to spend so much of our time feeling guilty about our prayer lives, as we may often do, but to come and to enjoy him, to come and bask in the warmth and beauty of these beautiful relationships. A fourth century theologian called Gregory said this, I can't think of the one without quickly being circled by the splendor of the three. Nor can I discern the three without straight away being carried back to the one. He's saying he comes to God, he knows God is one, but as he does so, he enjoys the fact that he's in a community with them. So sometimes I think we can start our prayers. It would be appropriate to do so, to pray, Father, Son and Spirit, I come to you in prayer. The normal pattern in the New Testament would be we pray to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. But that would be a way of, in effect, looking around and enjoying the fact that we come to a community and enjoy him. If that's new and you want to ask, then come and ask questions. Here are a couple of books that are helpful on that. At heart, we're being told that God has always been relational. And you and I are invited in. And there's a final thing on on this little point about unity. We pray from the unity of the Trinity. But if Jesus is praying for unity, it follows that it's a good prayer for Christians as a church to pray for unity. That's what he says in verse 1. Pray that they may be one, just as you, Father, are one. So it's good for us to keep praying for one another, that we might be a church who are united, bound together, particularly in the days that we're living in. And the reason for that is verse 23, that the world might know that you sent me. So we pray 
from the unity of the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Trinity. And then we come finally to this last point. We pray very simply because God loves us, Father and Son. We've already heard lots of big things, but let's not miss one more in verse 22. And 23, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know, here it is, that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. It's that last phrase. We are loved as much by God the Father as the Son is loved by the Father. Just check that I'm getting that right, would you? That's a big thing. So that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Sorry, did we just, did we just hear that right? Yes, we did. It's the same in verse 26 at the end that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Think about it. This is breathtaking. The Father has loved the Son perfectly, infinitely, for all eternity. And the Father loves us in Christ just as much, just as passionately. And so do we ever wonder what God thinks of me? Well, how does he think of his son? It says in Mark chapter 1, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. With him I delight. He is the one that I've treasured for all eternity. He is my darling boy, says the father. I remember 10 years ago, maybe you remember the, this little picture in the Olympics of 2012, it's a decade ago, the, 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 the South African dad in the uh, Olympics, uh, South African guy, and he, he was saying of his son, he was so caught up in him, maybe there's not a picture, for it, but there was a South African dad, and he, he was saying, have you seen my boy who just won a medal? Have you seen my boy who was delighting in him? And that is what he thinks of us. In Christ, he says, my heart is for you. He thinks the world of us. He thinks the world of us. He loves us passionately, protectively. He's concerned for us. Oh, our feelings tell us that if he notices us, he just tolerates us or is mildly frustrated with us. But God's word tells us a different story. He thinks the world of us. He loves us. Now, it's true that our sin and our suffering from our experience are like clouds that block the sun. This illustration doesn't work today, does it? <laughs> but they're like clouds that block the sun. But that is just from our side. From his side, the sun is always shining. His warm, healing, sunshine love always pours over his children. Friends, slow down on this. Don't rush. This is... This is big. This offer is not available anywhere else. If there's no God, it's just a cold universe that doesn't care. If it's Buddhism, it's just a force. If it's Islam, if we do enough, there's reward, but not love. Not love on the scale of this, not a passionate father 
for his son. And this, I think, has some things for us as we turn to think about prayer as we close. We don't pray to get God to love us. We pray because he loves us. There's so much guilt, I would suspect, in our prayer lives. If you're a child of God and you didn't pray as you wished last week, the Father does not love you less. He doesn't love you less. He doesn't. He doesn't love his son less. And he loves you as he loves his son. You are in him. You experience his perfect righteousness. All that's happened is we've missed out on enjoying some time with him. We've missed out on that. And he holds it out again to us this week. And, and we think this week, well, is the father going to listen to me? Well, does he listen to his son? Yes, and he loves you as he loves his son. You see, it helps us to turn prayer not into an activity, but to focus on a person who loves us and who says come. And if we want one final concrete proof of his love, verse 24 would be, one, verse 24, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He says, I want these that I love that I will die for to be with me. I want them, Father, to be with me in heaven, physically, in the new heavens, in the new earth, in the holiday wedding banquet that is to come. He wants you with him because he loves you he wants you there not because he tolerates you because he loves you he wants you there think of how much we looked forward to that first hug after covid separation you remember those with a grandparent or a parent think of how much we anticipated that and jesus says i it's the tiny sense of the yearning that Jesus has. Jesus says, I desire that those you've given me will be here, may be where I am, may see my glory that you've given me before the foundation of the world. Again, not in a vain way. He's rightly at the center. He's the fountain of love. I've been reading this little book as a family written by Joni Erickson Tada, the super fantastic forever party. She's talking about heaven and she says this at some point. It says there'll be no more uh, arguing or hurting, only peace and friendship. Life will be like standing under a waterfall of happiness. Ha, what a way of putting it. Life will be like standing under a waterfall of happiness as Jesus cascades his beauty and his glory and we drink from the source. Jesus says, I, I can't wait for you to see and experience my glory as I pour that over you. And so we might tell ourselves that no one wants us around, no one notices, but Jesus does. He's glad you're around. He's tingling with excitement, if I could put it that way. At you, yes, you, being with him physically where he is. Like that moment on TV when the Grand Designs team can't wait for the moment when, when the eyes are opened and they see what's been laid before them. Jesus says, I can't wait because I love them for them to see my glory. Well, what a prayer to overhear.
What a prayer to Ada here. What a saviour. If you're a believer, this isn't about a sort of technique in prayer. It's not a, a prayer to challenge you. It's an invitation to draw near, to enjoy this living God, Father, Son, and Spirit in prayer, to come to him this week, to enjoy him. If you wouldn't call yourself a believer, you never turned and trusted. Where, where else will you find love like this? It's all here. Come and get it. Let's pray. Dear Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you that even now as we come to you together as your people, you already love us. We can come to enjoy you. We are praying from within your beautiful relationship. And we pray that we would be people who enjoy you more who enjoy your presence in our lives, who, who turn to you and worship you in our lives. Please make the truths of this passage, which are so deep and so rich and so beyond just 30 minutes of looking at, please make them real in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.